Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. How about we have a big welcome, Pastor Danny Guglielmucci. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bless you. Thank you. Great to see you. Bless you. What an honour and a privilege to be with you today and it's good to have Sharon with me and uh, I heard she did really good on Wednesday, she told me, so, you know, oh no, no, that's not what happened, as if, as if, if you know Sharon, um, but it's great to have her with me and it's always fun when we come here because it's family and it's, uh, we're not here doing a gig, you know, but we're here to share with family and as I've been praying about what to share, uh, the message this morning is something I believe very simple but a message God's, I believe, given me for all Christians that I get to share with as a result of some of what I've been through, uh, which I'll share briefly with you because you've been praying for us. And tonight I want to speak on trophies of God's grace as a dream that I had, which I'll share tonight. But the message is called Broken But Open. And it's about being open in our brokenness because the world's not looking for karaoke church. The world is not looking for pretend we have got it all together church. But God is attracted to our brokenness. And I grew up in a religious background where, you know, unless you're good enough, God won't accept you. And God's been missing us because he wants us with our brokenness. And if you're open with your brokenness, he can bring you to great wholeness. Mental illness is a major issue in our world today. And the church should be the first group of people available to embrace people in those situations and show them the amazing grace of God. And in the Bible, Jesus had no problem hanging around with broken people. It was the religious people that struggled with that. But so the church needs to be broken but open. And as I was driving with Jeff through Perth just the other day, I was blown away at the amount of homeless people. And I thought, wow, we the church need to be at the forefront of having the answer, not just pointing the finger at the problem. And so tonight will be great. And if there's issues in your own life, we all have them. I'm actually going to talk to you about some of the brokenness in my own life, Uh, not just to put our dirty washing on the line, but to use the tears that we cry to be a river of refreshing for other people. And so it'd be great to see you tonight. But uh, it's been a great uh, journey in some ways and a difficult one in others over the last 12 months. Many of you know that in 2018, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer, a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. I'd been travelling around New Zealand preaching for three weekends and preaching on living from eternity. That we don't live for eternity, we live from eternity. And if we don't see life from eternity, there's a lot that doesn't make sense. I'm grateful for all the healings and miracles that happen on earth and I believe for them now more than ever. But there are some things that happen in our lives that under the sun, under heaven, don't make a lot of sense. But when you look at life through eternity, things really take on purpose. And I was speaking about this around, the, uh, around New Zealand. I arrived home at the end of this series and as I was walking up the ramp at Adelaide Airport, I couldn't make it to the top because I couldn't breathe properly. And to cut a long story short, a couple of days later, I'm in hospital. Took him a few more days to find what it was because my haemoglobin had dropped down very, very low. So I could hardly walk or talk. And then they found I had non, they did a bone marrow uh, test and found I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And what I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth. It's not stretched. It's exactly what happened. At the moment I was told, it felt like my world went into darkness. 
I began to think of 2.16 when our son Chris passed away and then 2.17 had another challenge with what could have been cancer and then 2.18 this and you sort of feel like, oh no, not again, you know. And uh, I'm sitting there for a short period of time feeling a bit overwhelmed, a little bit emotional and then I can't explain it to you but within a short period of time, the peace that came into that hospital room, I cannot describe. It was this incredible peace. And with that came a sense of God's presence. Over the next few days, as nurses would come in and doctors, they would comment about the aura in my room. And I felt there was this presence of God there. And it felt like it doesn't matter. No matter what, it doesn't matter. And I discovered very, very quickly that God's peace is so real, I prayed this prayer. I said, God, I don't want to die. I want to live and I feel that I have a message in my heart that you've given me because I still wake up all the time with messages and I feel why give me messages if I'm not going to be using them. So I feel my time's not up. But if you know better and it is, I trust you. I'm not going to beg you day after day to heal me. I'm going to put my whole trust in you and say you're my heavenly dad and you know what's best for me and I'm going to trust you. And a peace... And a presence came into my heart, my, my mind. It just surrounded me. It was overwhelming. I was cracking jokes with the nurses and they thought it wasn't funny, apart from the fact they were bad dad jokes, um, you know, <laughs> that I was taking this so lightly and uh, had a big Bible next to my bed and the nurses would come in and go, how can you still believe in that? And I got to discover very quickly that not only does God's peace represent His favour on your life, His presence represents His favour on your life, but His purpose never leaves your life. And I'm there with this sense of purpose and discovered very, very quickly that none of us need a pulpit, but we all need a platform. And that God doesn't call us to pulpits, He does for some of us. But I'm a Christian before I am a pastor. And as a Christian, I will always have a platform. And even as a pastor with the calling that's on my life, God's never going to take away things from me that He put me on the planet to do. And so I'm talking to doctors. A guy comes in one day to bring me my food and hospital food. You need a longer prayer to say grace for that food. (laughs) And he says to me, you're Pastor Danny, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. And I won't use the language he used. But he said, my life sucks. Now, I'm there with tubes in my arms, you know, um, having chemo treatment in hospital and not feeling the greatest. And he's telling me his life sucks. And uh, he says to me, I used to go to your church or the church I used to be involved in as a youth pastor many years ago. He said, I don't go to church anymore because my life's a mess. I'm addicted to this, this, this. And he starts doing this whole, it wasn't a Dr. Phil show, but it felt like that. He was just pouring it all out. And he goes, and there's no hope for me anymore, even though I still believe Jesus is real. I said, can I pray for you? Tears running down his face. And I didn't have a pulpit, but I had a platform. The doctor who had worked on me in 2017 when I had a bowel operation comes and sits next to me and he says, how are you feeling? How are you going? And He goes, did God ever speak to you about your son's death? Did God ever show you what was about to happen before it happened? 
And I said, well, let me show you a message that he wrote before he passed away. I showed it to him on my phone and tears filled his eyes. He says, my dad just passed away. I'm going home tomorrow to the country where my mum lives and I don't know how to encourage her. And he says, do you pray for me? Now, I'd met him in 2017 as a surgeon. And he goes, do you pray for me? I said, yeah. I said, but I also tell funny jokes about you. I said, I tell people how I told you, will I be able to play the piano after my operation on my bow? And you said to me, what's that got to do with your hands, your bow? I said, no, please, doctor, give me an answer to this question. He said, yes, you will be able to play the piano, no problem. I said, well, that's great because I couldn't play it before. (laughs) So, So I'm telling him, I'm telling him my story. He's laughing. He goes, you're a funny man. And the next morning he's supposed to fly to home to see his mum and he pops into the hospital again. And he goes, I just wanted to come and see how you were. Don't forget to pray for me. Didn't have a pulpit, but I had a platform. I got home after hospital and I get a phone call from a guy who owns a restaurant or owned a restaurant on, in North Adelaide, uh, one of the main strips. And he says, Danny, I've got to talk to you. Uh, you know, it's Peter here. He said, I've just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I go, really? And he says, and when your son passed away, a whole group of ministers came to our restaurant the night of the funeral to have dinner and I listened to their conversation. And I realised what they talked about I need right now. Can I come and see you? Just happens to live a few streets away from my house. He comes to see me and we get talking and he's got tears in his eyes and why do good people have to go through this and why did you have to go through this? And, and then he says to me, can you teach me how to pray? He said, how many Hail Marys do I have to do? And I said, well, it doesn't work like that for me, Peter, but let me talk to you about how you can talk to God. Next morning, he sends me a text. How, um, Hope you are well. Hi, Danny. Hope you are well. I'm going to start today with a prayer for both of us and others that are not well. Remember today is a new day with new babies being born. We are glad, Lord, we will see another day. Give us strength and give strength to our wives that look after us. And remember, Lord, our wives are beautiful angels and we love them. Thank you, Lord, for the birds we hear outside. May today be a great day. Not bad for a first prayer, eh? And so two nights ago, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning because they've given him a short time to live. And three o'clock in the morning, I get up and I felt God say, you got to get Peter a Bible. Soon as you get home from this trip, get him a Bible and make sure he understands eternity because I'd been speaking to him about eternity. I'm at Pastor Jeff and Rhonda's yesterday morning, early hours of the morning, I get a phone call, it's Peter. Hey, Danny, can you get me a Bible? Can you get me a Bible? I must admit I got pretty emotional. I think Pastor Jeff come out wondering what was going on, probably thought I had a fight with Sharon, but because yeah, I'm out the back crying. Thinking for God to wake you up, to put that in your heart and he wants to get ready for eternity. I can't wait to get home and go and see Peter. I tell you, my friends, it's not a pulpit, but it is a platform. And so what happened during this journey, and these are just a few stories. I'm going to give two more and then the, the, the theme of what I want to share with you is the difference of 
going to church or living called. We're all meant to live called. We're not meant to, your story's not gonna be my story. My story's not gonna be yours, but we all have a story. Whether you're a policeman, whether you are a rubbish collector, whether you are a nurse, whatever you are, your living called can change someone's life forever. And it doesn't have to be in front of a big crowd. And I wanna tell you, God's favour in my life came through peace, through presence and purpose. And that will never leave no matter what happens. And one moment with a Peter does something for me more than any preaching will ever do. If I can see that kind of God involvement in a person's life in the storm, like Pastor Jeff said earlier. So I was asked probably close to two years ago now to go to Zurich to speak at a conference for a guy called Leo Bigger International Christian Fellowship, a church of around 10,000 in Zurich. They had a pastor's conference of 4,000 attendees and leadership conference and they said, we want you to come. And then I get cancer. It doesn't make sense. You think, well, what about all those doors that God's supposed to open? And I get cancer and I can't go. I have to cancel. So he then says, well, we're going to keep it booked for next year, which is this year now. And we're going to believe that you're still going to get here. And so to cut a long story short, being released from hospital, still having treatment right now, still getting sick. I picked up viruses or uh, infections, sorry. So I got an infection uh, in my bowel. I was very, very sick. And I was out with my wife and my daughter and I got pretty emotional as I'm getting a suitcase, a new smaller suitcase to take on board luggage. And, and so we're doing the shopping and I'm just crying. Sharon rightfully and my daughter going, you sure you, do, you should do this? You're getting on a plane tomorrow to go to Zurich when you're so sick. The doctors released me to do it, but said, be careful. But in my heart, I knew I had to go. And I thought, I don't understand why, but I've got to do this as sick as I am. I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm not trying to sort of stay alive by preaching. I just know I've got to do this. I arrive in Zurich and within a couple of hours of arriving in Zurich, get a phone call from the pastor and goes, everything's changed. He goes, two days ago, our worship pastor died, 35 years of age. And we don't know how to handle our grief. And out of everything you've gone through, we can't think of anybody else to speak to us, to take us on the journey of our pain and grief. They had to start the conference with the announcement of this lady's passing. She knew she was going. She knew she was on the planet on assignment from God. She knew she lived called and understood that this was her time. And a week before she died, she wrote these words. If we can put them up on screen. Sorry, I should have given you warning, guys. I, there we are. When my chapter's done and my torch is passed on and all my days are spent when they look at me, I want them to see that my heart looks like your heart in the end. Now, you can't see her face. That's a picture of her off to the side, but we couldn't get it sort of small enough to be able to read and see the photo. 35 years of age. And all of a sudden, I knew why I was there. And I knew that while the road doesn't go the way you think, when you live called, God is at your side no matter what. You see, I'd been asked to go to New Zealand and preach in Christchurch. And because of my hospital treatment, I had to cancel. And so I get a phone call from pastor in Auckland who says to me, Danny, could you do a message while you're in hospital? I go, okay. 
in my pyjamas? He goes, now, could you record a message while you're in hospital? And I said, well, I'll give it a go. So they gave me the chapel. So I go into the chapel at St Andrew's Hospital, dressed from the top up. (laughs) And I've got a cameraman, just me and the cameraman. And I start to preach and the power of God filled the room. I start crying, he starts crying. I get words of knowledge, speaking down the camera and there's only me and empty chairs. But the chapel looked like John Wesley's chapel in Bristol. Looked exactly the same. And I remember many years earlier standing in John Wesley's chapel with my hand on the podium saying, God, do it again. I don't want to read about history. We need to make history. Do it again, Lord. And there I was in this room and the cameraman starts bawling. He says to me afterwards, that was just for me. And so I send the video off to Christchurch and then there's a massacre in Christchurch that you all saw. Many people killed and they cancel the conference. And I go, now how does that work? I cancel going. Then they ask me to do a video. Then I do a video and God's all over it, I think. Because I'm thinking, if this is not God, then nothing of what I've done is God. And then it gets cancelled. You think, really? So I think all that trouble of finding what pyjamas to wear and then... (laughs) And then for no reason at all. And then a couple of weeks ago, I get a phone call. Hey, Danny, we were so burdened for Christchurch after the massacre. We decided to go back to Christchurch and put on a conference for free for all the pastors and leaders that could come. There was over a thousand, I think, that went. And we opened the conference with your video. And at that time, that message was the right message for what was needed. I mean, mean it's... So please understand today that I really feel that it's not because I'm a pastor or a preacher, because I think all my life before I was a pastor, I had a sense that, As Christians, we can live called. We don't have to just go to church. We can be the church. Thank God for the church that equips us. But, you know, people, pastors go to me, how do we break the 200 barrier? And how do we break the 500 barrier? And how do we do this in our church? And how do we get more people? Just get everybody to live called. Because if everybody lives called, then people will bring their friends to Christ. They will have journeys and it won't happen every single day of your life because we have lives to live. But let me tell you, when you have a conviction on the inside that you were born for a purpose, not on purpose, for a purpose, that in the storm, through the tragedies, hey, Danny, will you be a spokesman for the Leukaemia Foundation? Will you come and speak to doctors that are raising money for India? And I'm being asked in the hospital to do all these things, which I was never really privy to before in the midst of my pain. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 verse 13, I'm glad when I came to you, you didn't reject me because I was sick. He said, you could have pushed me away because I was sick when I brought you the good news. In our Western world, good news and sick don't go hand hand in hand. Paul is sick as a dog and he goes, I bring you the good news. And you didn't push me away because I was sick. You cared for me. You looked after me, you connected with me and you listened to my message. A pastor said to me, how can you go to Zurich in the middle of your sickness? They had to put me into a medical clinic while I was in Zurich to give me infusions and then I'd get up and preach. I'm not trying to be a hero, 
But I realise if we can't preach the truth in our pain, it's not going to mean anything to the people out there that are in pain because the good news is not subject to what we're going through, as Jeff said earlier. For lack of time, I won't read all the Scriptures, but 1 Peter 2.9 says we're called to be a royal priesthood. And it says to be able to know, I wrote this this morning, He called us to know Him, to grow in Him and to show Him. That's what we're called to do as Christians wherever we are. And I'm grateful that through this journey, nothing of what God put me on the planet to do has been changed or thwarted because this is not churchianity, it's Christianity. In Psalm 40 verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, O God. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. And I believe that if every one of us can get excited this morning, that no matter where we end up tomorrow, making a cup of coffee for someone, just a kind word to someone, asking God to drop a thought into your heart for someone you're working with, we can live cold. And when we live cold, we get hold of a cause, but more important, the cause gets hold of us. Remember the story of David going out to battle when his brothers were with Saul out in the battlefield facing Goliath? And they had a go at him. What are you doing out here? Why, why you left those sheep behind? People sometimes judge you by what's inside of them. And David's brothers were judging their brother who had pure motives by the wrong motives inside of them. But his response wasn't a sort of sooky response. It wasn't a response, oh, how dare you say that to me? When David's brothers attack him, he says this, Is there not a cause? Come on, guys, drop your insecurity. Is there not a cause? Something changes when people get hold of a cause. Do you know much research has been done that shows mental health improves when we have a cause? I mean, that's proven. You know, when we become centripetal, inward looking, we then start heading towards depression if life is all about what's happening to us. And in the midst of pain, you start serving others because you have a cause. Things can change. I mean, people are passionate about all kinds of causes today. Vegans getting angry at people eating meat. And boy, some of them are willing to die for that cause. Climate change, whatever. Uh, Pastor Jeff was telling me about people that believe that the earth is still flat. I didn't quite know whether that was true, so I looked it up. And yes, they exist. And those people fight for that cause. Our national anthem. There you go. Our national anthem, changing the words through, uh, from young and free to strong and free. Maybe that's a good idea. I don't know. But, you know, causes, people get hold of causes. But can you imagine if Jesus really died, rose from the dead, and the resurrection makes death down here on earth, not the end, but we have an eternity. I don't know of a better cause than the cause of Jesus Christ. But you know, when a cause gets hold of us, it gives us purpose, right? It makes us passionate. People say to me, Danny, uh, you're a real visionary. I said, no, I'm not. Someone said to me one day, where are you going? I said, I'm going to lunch. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't think past lunchtime, you know, like... If, if you're Italian and you're having a meal, you're sitting there thinking about what the next one's going to be. Sharon will tell me that. She goes, you haven't even finished this one and you're already working out what you're going to eat tonight. I said, well, the Lord saved me from a lot of things, but eating wasn't included. And so, you know, but 
But you see, when a cause gets hold of me, a God-given cause, the story of Peter is not something I've got to try to work up. The story of the unchurched coming to my home, swearing their heads off. One of them in my house the other day, I goes, the effing problem with this effing country. He goes, they all need Jesus. Go, really? <laughs> Sharon will tell you, I'm telling you the truth. He rings me up one day, he goes, where are you? I said, I'm visiting my mum in the home. I said, where are you? He says, at your house. My daughter happened to be at our house, so she let him in. He goes, I'm just here waiting for you. I said, I'll be there in half an hour. I walked in, he was snoring his head off with his head back in the lounge in my family room. And somehow I thought, I think Jesus would love this. It's what the gospel's all about. Because when you get hold of a cause that you believe is absolutely true, you don't just have, oh, I've got to write down my vision. You get passionate because something's gotten hold of you and that passion, you get hold of a purpose or the purpose gets hold of you. You become passionate and then it positions you with the kind of people that help you in that world. I love hanging around with Pastor Jeff and Rhonda because we've been positioned to the cause of Christ. Therefore, we can muck around and have jokes and cook food. But at the end of the day, the conversation always ends up the church, the body of Christ. Not because at four o'clock in the afternoon you need to now talk about the church. No, we're passionate and it positions us and then it prioritises our world for us. So for me, I'm not trying to stay alive by preaching more because I'm ready to go if that's what God wants. But I have a purpose. A cause has got hold of me. It's positioned me. It's prioritised me. And yes, there is a price. There is a pain of feeling really sick sometimes just before preaching and getting up and having to sit during the worship because I can't stand the whole time. I'm not there yet, but the price is nothing compared to the prize of what God will bring when you are called. I believe each Christian should live called. Every Christian leader should live called and it's not a pulpit. The number of young people today going through Bible college looking for where the doors are going to open for their future ministry. We should never chase ministry. Ministry should chase us. We should chase the master and know that every day we're in the ministry. Every day, wherever we go, wherever we are, we're in the ministry. And if every Christian lived like that, they'd be less critical of their churches. They'd be less critical of their leaders. They'll be less critical of what the church offers them. The day is coming, I prophesy, when people are going to go to churches and go, how does the gift on my life help build this vision? Not what will this church do for me? How does the gift on my life help me? Not a pulpit, but give me a platform. Serving with the kids, cleaning up around the place. They are all ministries. And as we serve God, how can we help? Because this church is called. See, if every Christian's called, every Christian leader's called, and every church is called, there needs to be a synergy of those things. And when we come, then there's a unity that happens. I remember pastoring Edge Church when we didn't do any of the things. We wouldn't have been involved in Transform Cambodia if the journey hadn't begun 10 years in when God says this church needs to be mobilised. You need to equip the saints to do the ministry, not you do the ministry. And you need to go and renovate hospitals. And you need to go and, and when God did that all those years ago, the rest is history today because an individual Christian, because that's what I am before a preacher, gets called. Then as a leader, I get called but then our church gets called. And boy, you go from addition to multiplication. Let me give you very quickly what I call the postures of the called. Got a, uh, got a couple more minutes, have I? Yep. 
Okay, these are the postures of called people. Number one, called people are consecrated. In other words, devoted. It says in the book of Acts, they devoted themselves. They didn't need, I don't need the church to stay close to Jesus. I didn't go to church much with cancer because I was in hospital for the first six months, in and out, in and out. And if I was at home, I was too weak to go and I couldn't catch anything. But let me tell you, I still had Jesus because I'm called and I still had church with me and Jesus. Now, I believe we're meant to be in the corporate gathering. I really, really do. God, we'd have to throw most of the New Testament away if we didn't believe that. We don't just stay home and watch Joyce Meyer because she can't visit you when you're in hospital. Even though she has a jet, she won't be able to fly to see you. And so called people are consecrated people. They are devoted. We're not Christians out of obligation. We're Christians out of revelation. We're not Christians out of duty. We're Christians out of devotion. I'm consecrated to the call. That's devotion. Number two, I'm committed to the call. That's obedience. It's one thing to be devoted in your heart, but something's got to go to your head. And when it touches your head, it's got to come out through your hands. And so consecrated to the call leads to committed to the call through obedience. Abraham gets told to kill his son. He was so quick to say, yes, I'm not sure whether he was really happy with his son. Because God says, I want you to get up early in the morning and get your son up early in the morning. Have you ever tried to get a son up early in the morning? I mean, that's a greater miracle than all of it. Just getting your son up early in the morning. He says, I want you to get your son and go and take him on a mountain and sacrifice him. Really? He didn't say really. He said, yes, Lord. Then when he says to his son, we're going to go and sacrifice. He goes, yes, Dad. You know, one of the absolute heart postures of the called is yes. Whatever you want, Lord, yes. I didn't want my son to die. I didn't realise a world would open up after his condition or his death and my condition. No, I wouldn't have chosen this. God gave me 10 promises when we started Edge Church and when I handed it over to Pastor Jonathan, every one of the 10 promises had come to pass. But he never told me my son would die. He didn't tell me we'd get cancer in our family. He didn't tell me my mum would get so sick that she's a total vegetable now. So my mum, who's 86, is alive, but she's a total vegetable. My son was 39 and he died. If you don't have a view from eternity, it all sucketh. It really does. It doesn't make sense. But I want to tell you, there's people in this room. Can we bow our heads right now? There's people in this room and life hasn't been kind to you. And, th- and when you hear about the favour of God and the blessing of God, you think, well, what did I do wrong? And I want to tell you this morning, you did nothing wrong. And if you embrace His peace and you embrace His presence in your life, there is purpose even in your pain. And today you can put your head up high and say, God is in control no matter what I don't understand. And if you've been carrying burdens like that, I'd like you to slip up your hand right now across this room. Wow, 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 wow. Father, this morning, I thank You for these dear people. And God, I know this may sound strange, but I just say, Lord, do for them what You've done for me. And let them know your peace today. Let them know your presence today. Let them know that in their pain there is purpose. And thank you, Lord, that eternity makes it all worthwhile in the end. Amen. Thank you for your honesty this morning. You see, called people are consecrated. They're committed. And they also have a clarity of the call because he speaks through revelation. Father, I pray today that when people go to work tomorrow, 
divine appointments will start happening where people will just get an urge to say something or make a coffee for someone, but it'll be more than just making a coffee. That there'll be a divine moment of a revelation of you just dropping a thought into people's minds so that we can see that you're at work through us no matter what we're going through. As I begin, people confess the call. You can look up again. When you are called, you talk about it. It becomes, it comes out of you. It's just natural. You confess the call. Then you continue in the call under pressure because we're resilient in the times of testing. We continue. They're all sermons on their own. But anyway, we continue in the call. Then we celebrate the call. Though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, yet will I rejoice. It says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I had to learn to rechoice. I have to rechoice every day to rejoice. It's not jump up and down and go yippee hey. It's about God, I trust you in the midst of my storm and I choose to celebrate you today because I'm not a spiritual guinea pig you like to experiment with. I'm your child. We celebrate the call and last of all, we complete the call. I am one decision away from becoming a total idiot. I want to complete my race. And it says, Paul says, I fought the good fight. Ladies and gentlemen, life is a fight. You choose to fight the good fight or you choose to fight the wrong fight. If that's you, God, if that's what you're like, I'm out of church, I'm leaving, stick it. That's the wrong fight. Still a fight and a lot of pain in that fight. Or Jesus, I don't understand, but I trust you. Sitting on the edge of my bed, saying, God, I, don't tr- I trust you. I nearly said, I don't trust you. I trust you, God. I trust you. And I heard a voice inside my head, and I trust you. I go, really? You trust me? I said, what with? He said, I trust you to finish your race. Remain faithful, no matter what. I remember, I don't even know if I've told Sharon this, but I remember in the early days when we first had children, I said, God, you can take anything from me, but don't take any of my kids. And I remember a few minutes later going back to God and saying, sorry, God, I shouldn't have said that because I give you everything, no matter what. Of course, in the back of your mind, you think, well, you pray a nice, sincere prayer like that, God will take care of everything. Never thought that I would see one of my kids die. I don't like it. It hurts every day. The pain is strong. And I'll probably walk with a limp. Sharon and I will walk with our limp. Our other kids will walk with a limp for the rest of our lives. But he's answered too many prayers. He's done so much that I cannot deny. That I can't walk away over what I don't understand. So I will choose to trust sovereignty when there's no clarity. And stand in his grace. Father, today... I don't know where everybody lives in this room today when it comes to their emotional life and their pain. But I guess in some ways we all pain at some time. We go through things. And I pray 
that your peace, that your presence and your purpose will never leave our lives for you are the truth. And we acknowledge you as that today. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Father, help us to live by kingdom rules. Help us to live from eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.